Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. Welcome to Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. In this edition, I'll be speaking with Chief Marketing Officer Eli Whaley of influencer marketing platform Park Lu, which is based in China. Now, according to recent statistics, 70% of Chinese citizens born after 1995 will turn to social media to directly buy products, where the global average is just 44%. According to some global brands, as much as 30% of marketing spend could be attributed now to influencer marketing. And this could be as high as 80% of independent brands looking to enter the Chinese market. One thing that did interest me about China is the difference that culture has on influencer marketing. Chinese consumers are more loyal to mega influencers or key opinion leaders, as they call them over there. And the amount of consumer touch points to convert is more like eight in comparison to the four you often see in Western countries. So building a relationship and a connection takes a lot longer. Influencer marketing in China is also seen to be ahead of the rest of the world in so many ways. Influencers will often pair up with manufacturers and designers and often make products together with influencers' brand identity. So I talked more about this with my special guest, Eli Whaley. Eli has um, more than seven years of experience in China's brand development and influencer marketing space. He actively participated in the rise and the boom of influencer marketing in China. And he leveraged his business potential by co-founding Millennium Fu, who is now consistently ranked as one of the top five beauty influencers on Weibo. As Chief Marketing Officer at Park Lu, Eli practices what he preaches by leading the brand to be predominantly leader in the KOL marketing in China. So, welcome. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Now, we, we, before we get on, we obviously uh, are talking in very unusual uh, market conditions around the coronavirus at the moment. And although we don't want to spend too much time on that, obviously it's something that has impacted uh, on the marketing community. Now, uh, as we speak, uh, it sounds as though we were talking earlier, weren't we, and saying that um, actually China's almost gone past this now or in the tail ends of it. Mm. Um, mm. W- w- what are you picking up now on the, on the market conditions uh, in China? And is there a sense that people are now starting to reinvest in the sector, having p- perhaps postponed some of the campaigns? Yeah, absolutely. So we had essentially all of our... Everywhere from my girlfriend to um, Park Lu, all of the campaigns that were planned for February and March and even for April um, were were postponed or, or canceled. And um, so, but now we are actually at the point where even just yesterday, uh, my girlfriend was contacted by Estee Lauder, who's looking to do like a full year contract about what they're going to do with their KOL strategies starting as soon as next month. That's great. Uh, we have a client like, and, and it's creating market opportunities too. Um, Lysol uh, is a new client of ours that has never been in China, but you know, a, a spray that, that uh, a disinfectant spray like that is going to be, this is a huge opportunity for them because there's a lot of change in, um, in consumer and, uh, and just behavior, um, cleanliness behavior and such. And so, you know, where wherever there's, um, you know, disaster or hard times, there's also going to be opportunities. And so a lot of brands are, are recognizing that people also, because of this, are going to have a lot of 
you know, pent up energy and, and maybe even some money in the bank. And uh, so we kind of are preparing and, and somewhat expecting a, a little bit of a bump in mm. consumption, mm. Um, which is kind of similar to what actually China experienced during SARS in the early 2000s. So um, if that's any indicator for, for what will happen this time, then we should see a pretty good transition back to consumption. Well, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced of it because uh, I've even seen some reports to say that social media activity is, is ramping up now for the reasons that you've just explained. Uh, TikTok, uh, a huge element of... Uh, and what, what I think is quite interesting as well is how uh, I was speaking to one of the uh, BCMA members, uh, agencies, was saying that the World Health Organization is now using influencers on hand washing videos to to uh, mm. actually communicate important uh, important government messages so i think that's a, that, that's a really interesting development uh, because traditionally television or some of these other uh, areas w- wouldn't 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 be uh, targeting that audience uh, and and that's why i think it's important if you're trying to get a, a nationwide message out you need multiple uh, multiple channels don't you Absolutely. And then we saw a huge bump in um, online and social media traffic and engagement. Uh, it didn't mean much for the platforms. I think Weibo said that they had a like a 25 or 30 percent increase in usage and engagement, but a 25 percent decrease in revenue because no one was advertising during that period due to the sensitivity of, mm. you know, the, the topic and what they expected for spend and things like that. So yeah. mm. um, it is, it is, it's, it's great for influencers. It's great for brands that, you know, um, take a very light um, and more engaging approach and a good time for influencers to create really interesting content. Cause there's going to be a lot of people who are bored out of their minds yeah. looking uh, for something to do. And, and it, interesting as well, it could be a time where people educate themselves. You know, if, if companies are saying, look, we can't employ you, but we want to invest in personal development, um, people will learn new skills. Uh, and, and I think it will actually create a whole load of new creators and influencers as well. Mm. Uh, don't you? Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, I, I think that'll be probably one of the byproducts of being bored mm. is, you know, really all influencers do is, you know, share educational or entertaining content. And may, a lot of people don't have time to share their knowledge or to, you know, maybe take the risk to uh, try and entertain others online. And, and this is a really good opportunity to jump right in. So ha- what I'm interested in finding out is is how the Asian uh, influencer market is different from the the european or foreign market now and, and as somebody that is obviously born in the states and and came over I'm, I'm really interested in your viewpoint in this area yeah so you know to be honest it, it, it there's a couple of things that go into it there's there's a social cultural aspect and then there's a technology aspect to it and I personally find the both of them very interesting, but the cultural part's kind of the most interesting part to me. Um, and because so because China is a high context culture, meaning that people really need um, uh, uh, strong bonds and relationships to form trust and and to understand each other and 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 a really basic form of communication. Um, influencers play really well to that as far as how they communicate 
potentially product value or um, or entertain or engage online. And we maybe a lot of people have heard of the term guanxi, which is a form of developing relationships in China. And so if you read maybe, you know, business books from the 80s, they're always going to tell you that when you meet a new um, potential business partner, you want or even a client that you want to bring them a gift or don't or expect that you would receive a gift. And the reason why is because one of the fundamental principles of guanxi is um, based on reciprocity. Mm. And what's really interesting is, is that content online, videos and posts and even live streams and such, that that is a form of a gift. It, it's something that has literally intrinsic value um, to the viewer, and that also has investment from the producer side, you know, blood, sweat, tears, and even financial. Mm. Uh, so what these influencers are actually doing is building up these massive storehouses of reciprocity with their followers and these followers in some ways have no way of paying back their debt until maybe they're asked to buy something or to engage with some sort of um, commercial content and that's kind of their way of saying oh i support you now uh, we saw that even in the live streaming where there was a gifting type um environment and when live streamers were making their entire incomes off of people just giving them money online and you know in the form of credits and such but that is a, a really interesting aspect of culture and how it it is i think it's in some ways it's very similar to other parts of the world but at the same time in china it's it's amplified mm. um, because it's so deeply embedded in the um, native behavior of everyone so that's that's on the cultural side uh, which I think is really interesting. But on the technology side, what we have over here is essentially every single commerce or content or social application, actually all of their functions are very, they all have very, very similar functions. They all have communication. They all have content. They all have payments. They all have commerce. And so when all of these apps have these have the ability to go directly from content to commerce, what you see is one, a desire for content for commerce and one commerce for content. And so what these influencers end up doing is building up massive audiences, whether it's around entertaining or educational content and, and then being able to sell very easily because it's really, really easy to go directly from content um, to a purchase environment. And it's typically just one or two clicks to buy anything you want. And, and we're seeing this adoption in the West, you know, with even TikTok and, and Instagram, I think, is doing launching native stores right now. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's, it, it is happening. But that's what's interesting about China is in this influencer space, it's been like three to five years ahead of the West um, because of technology and, and culture. Um, though some of those things are, I think, catching up and kind of leveling off in some ways where they almost they they look a little bit similar. But we do have some advanced kind of business models over here that that uh, haven't been adopted in the West yet. That's quite interesting, because when we spoke um, a few months ago, one of the things that really fascinated me was this. Uh, using influences in the product development phase. So rather than just mm. using them as, as, as amplifiers and, uh, and, and advertising assets, uh, you know, there, there are, there are uh, suppliers, manufacturers coming to these individuals and say, let's, let's create a brand together. 
so, so tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so, well, I mean, one of the interesting things to recognize is that these influencers, they're essentially nodes for, for their audience. So you have potentially thousands or hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people that are reflected in this one individual. And so it's not just that they have influence over them, but they're, they're a natural, you know, outpouring of those people that follow them. And, and so what that creates is a really, really interesting opportunity to work with an influencer and whether it be them talking to their audiences directly or just taking their opinions, you can start to develop you know, products and brands. So we see everything from brands using influencers in um, surveying type environments to develop products. Mm. Um, but where it really got interesting was uh, plus five years ago or so, um, there was a brand that was really, really popular on Taobao. And they saw what these influencers were doing and uh, and thought that that was really, really interesting and wanted to make a move into that area. And so they founded this company called Ruhan. And Ruhan has been a KOL brand incubator. Um, they went public on the NASDAQ um, mid last year. I think maybe even around this time last year. And they've been incredibly successful to some degrees with, with their unicorn kind of influencers in being able to produce these brands that are completely just the KOL. I mean, the, the KOL is the brand. Mm, and mm. the product development that these KOLs do, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's everything from going back and looking at the raw data of, hey, when we you know post pictures of, of dresses, which colors do the best, get yeah. the most comments and likes yeah. and such, yeah. to an influencer going into a, a factory live streaming and pointing their camera around the room. Wow, that's and amazing. Just, yeah, and just asking the audience, what do you want me to produce? What do you want to buy? And and it totally takes the whole product development thing out of the black box, totally reduces the risk. You kind of understand what the potential um, uh, purchases will be on the back end. Mm. And helping with all of that and and it's really fantastic i think it's a it's great business model well it's almost like it's you're creating a journey of experience right from the outset so rather than seeing the finished product which obviously happens at the moment in most instances uh we're now getting these individuals to share that process with their followers um and uh, i love it that sounds really really cool well, and i think that's going to develop yeah, the more customers get here. to be part of it yeah totally yeah. totally the customers get to be a part of creating the products that they want and i think that that is probably the best part of the entire you know the entire thing so i'm guessing then the conversion rate once that product is in they can create the the, the influencer then can promote online the um, the launch show you know eight days seven days six days i can almost see it happening now uh, and really creating that buzz without without a store you know well what's fascinating is is these influencers uh, we have our our version of Black Friday. I don't. I don't know what you have in the UK, but our version of a big sales day in the US. Um, in, in China, we have this called Shuangshui 1111 yeah. on November 11th. We have this huge online sales holiday, and on Taobao and Tmall, and in the top 10 for um, for fashion brands, there are typically three to four influencer brands that are the top one. So these influencers 
are selling as much as vermode and nike and h and m and even outselling them on on these sales holidays and that's and that's what's able to make you know some of these companies or this company ruhan go public yeah. is because they had one of the top unicorns um in that space and it, it's absolutely fascinating it's absolutely uh, amazing and in some ways not that surprising that things would go that way and, mm. and that you would be able to leverage it um uh, that way but it it is tremendous so uh, let's talk about a specific example because you're very close to this in the form of your girlfriend that you helped launch from zero uh, online. Uh, t- tell us a little bit about the story because it's now, is it four years on? Four or five years on? Yeah, just, yeah, almost five years. Five yeah. years. So tell, tell me a little bit about that journey and, and how you supported her and where she's at now and... Sure, sure, sure. Um, so I, uh, I was working, I came over to the States, or I came over to China after working in video production and commercial video production as my career um, in, in the state side. And when I came over here, I started working for agencies. And when I was a content marketing director for a, for a marketing agency, and um, every time we created a piece of content, it would go out to this team that would use KOLs for distribution. I was like, what is this KOL thing? And once it was described to me, yeah, you know, KOLs, actually even influencers at the time, I'd never understood or really under, uh, heard of that. And I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And the reason why is because it was the purest form of content marketing that I had ever heard of because it was literally creating content and building audiences with zero ask. And I knew that as a content marketer, that this was a really, really interesting um, opportunity and would present tremendous value in the future. And so I kind of locked that away in the back of my head. And uh, later, I met this really beautiful, young, talented girl called Maggie, and we started dating. And she was uh, one of the top makeup artists in the country and working with celebrities and fashion shows around the world and and doing covers for uh, magazines and such. Mm. And so I asked her, I said, hey, what do you, you know, what's your future goal? She said, well, you know, if, if I was really to be able to accomplish my dreams, it would be to have a, to have a beauty brand someday, a cosmetics brand. I said, you know what? I think that this KOL thing is the way to do that. And um, it's a way of growing slow and strong. And that's kind of when principle that I I believe in. And so we just started producing videos. And I knew that that cross section of high utility or, you know, educational content and entertainment was the sweet spot. And so we really focused on that. And, and she's done really well, you know, and now she's one of the top artists in the country and makes more than I do. And (laughs) (laughs) so how many followers has she got now? She has like 1.3 1.3 million on Weibo and another few hundred thousand on other platforms and she's she's had a she's had other platforms too that have died where she had very significant um followings in in the million type range um that's that's part of the risk with this industry is that you know these platforms rotate in and out um boom and bust kind of cycles mm-hmm. The Weibo has been a pretty constant one. You know, it's 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 definitely not, you know, I, I actively tell people that this is not something I would ever encourage someone to choose, like I'm going to be an influencer, or that you should pursue that as a uh, career, because it's just not realistic. No. The, the, the reality is, is that 
it's it's very similar to any form of entertainment, sports, um, kind of world where only the top one percent will ever make a killing and, and a very small percent will make a living. And then the rest are just going to be starving artists for the most part, or, you know, just a little bit of a side hustle or, or done for passion. So unless you're extremely passionate and you're a creator that isn't satisfied without creating something and putting it in, in into the world, it's really not, I'm not really big on the whole kind of, you know, influencer incubator kind of concept or that you're going to build um, people like this because I know that it was a very one-off, very lucky situation that uh, my girlfriend and I were in, and, and it was the right combination of talents to be able to produce these results. Well, I think it's all about content being king, isn't it? And, and people having a passion in the first instance that actually engage an audience, and that is often what attracts brands. I think it's a, it's a real misnomer when th- people think they're going to start out and say, I want to be an influencer, I want free holidays, I want free travel and all the rest of it, because it's... It, 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 it's not working and all the really successful people that get the great engagement are those that deliver educational or entertainment value in the first place so I love what you said earlier about reciprocity because I can see how uh, how important that is not just in Chinese culture but actually um, you know more widely around the world and so what about the remuneration then um, is it similar to um, for, for, for blog posts um, and video, you know, uh, no, that's, that's one of the unique, um, and kind of surprising for, for most brands when they come over here and experience it for the first time. Um, influencers are very expensive, um, over here. Their CPMs can be, um, as much, if not more, um, than most of the platforms would charge. Uh, their conversion, the, even the acquisition costs, when you really distill things down, um, can be a lot more um, than sometimes platform um, prices and such. And they're definitely a lot more than they are in the West. I was actually looking at your website uh, earlier this morning, and uh, I must admit, I love the calculator. That is awesome. <laughs> the yeah, budget yeah, calculator. A lot, a lot of people, because they don't know what it's likely to, to cost. And I know it's you know, how long's a piece of string because it could be all sorts of different uh, variables, but it is, uh, it's a really cool tool. I have to say. Uh, Well, and, and to be honest, we've, we've talked about, Oh, how can we enrich that tool? And I'm like, guys, you really can't enrich that tool because the reality is, you know, taking someone like my girlfriend, depending on what type of content they're creating and what platform it's on and then how much they like the brand, the price can vary dramatically. And so um, that's a really rough estimation, but it's a good, it gives people a pretty good idea of, of what you would have to spend yeah. uh, to, to, to work with Gaywells. And what would be a typical average, average value of, of an investment for a brand? And I'm particularly interested in one that's thinking of investing in China for the first time. So let's just say, I don't know, a global brand wants to do something with uh, a Chinese KOL. What might they be spending? Are we talking... Yeah, at Park Lu, we essentially don't take on any one-off campaigns that are less than 25,000 USD um, for for the budget. And um, for, you know, for an MCN, it can can range dramatically anywhere from, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to, um, you know, a million dollars kind of thing. Really? And it really, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 
Um, it's, it's quite significant. And these influencers, they're not cheap. They're not, they're not cheap at all, especially. So what's become really popular this year is the live streaming e-commerce um, KOLs. And we have this one in particular called uh, Austin Lee. And he, uh, he recently gave a bid on a project that kind of made my eyes bug out. You know, I, don't, <laughs> I, 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 I don't make the decisions on the client side, but uh, he has an eight-hour live stream every day where he promotes products and um, he was going to charge this brand 20,000 USD for five minutes and they had to reduce the price of their product from 275 renminbi down to 65 renminbi and he was going to get a 30% cut on the sales. Wow. (laughs) Yes. And I'm looking at this and I'm going... Holy crap, man. Like there's, there's so not only is the upfront fee expensive and then the potential risk that there's not going to be enough sales to compensate for that, but you potentially are damaging your brand by putting that kind of price point on your product. Hopefully you're not using a hero product or something like that. Mm. You who's buying it and if they're buying it in some sort of crazy bulk or if there's manipulation by the influencer themselves and it's going to go on to resale or something like that. And then on top of that, um, the people that are buying it, you don't know if those are actually your target consumers because the only way you're ever going to see real ROI is from the lifetime value of the customers. Sure. So if you don't have a tension rate, and because these aren't your 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 proper customers and that won't buy your products at full price, you've you've potentially made a really poor uh, poor decision. Mm. So you know, in the West, there's been a massive growth of micro influencers, uh, people that have mm. got smaller audiences but a far higher engagement rate. And is that that sounds like it's slightly different from what you said here? There's, there's a lot more focus on the the top one percent. Correct. There's a, there's a couple of reasons for it. One is the because of again because of the Chinese culture a little bit. Uh, part of that is the high context. Um, part of it is the communal type culture. Leaders have a very strong influence over the the tiers of of uh, social status below them, and and so. They, their impact can actually be quite significant and can have even have impact on what I call like KOL trickle down economics, where if a really, really yeah. big KOL or, or influencer or celebrity talks about something, then other influencers will start talking about it. Mm. And so you have this, you have this knock on effect. And then from that, you know, the micro influencer thing, it's really hard to scale. Which is yeah. why I was going to ask you about um, ambassador programs, Again, there's been a big growth here in, uh, you know, signing up and partnering with individuals for a longer term, longer term campaign. So you be almost immersed in that brand rather than something that's just one off. Correct. So there's a mix of what's going on here. And so what we've really seen in China, and this is what I predict is what, because we're ahead of the curve, this is what I would predict also you'll see in the West, is the influencer marketing world has really bifurcated. And what that means is these top tier influencers are essentially celebrities. And the celebrity type budgets are now being, you know, distributed or allocated also to top tier influencers. They're right in that band. Mm. 
And everything below that is really focusing on kind of product seeding or very, very low price point um, campaign um, payments. But the real, real interesting thing is this rise of what what we've or what has been coined as as KOCs. And a KOC is a key opinion customer. And what that really is about is it, it's being it's a little bit confused right now in our market even. Um, it's being kind of described as like a micro influencer. But a KOC is not a micro influencer. KOC is a brand advocate. And so brands are really starting to understand that the CAC, the customer acquisition costs, are just out of control. In some cases, over the LTV, the lifetime value of the customers that they're acquiring. And so the real focus now is on retention and what can we do to increase the lifetime value of each customer. And that lifetime value just doesn't just mean repurchase, but now because of social media and UGC and different for, different mechanisms out there, you can actually increase the lifetime value of a customer by getting them to get you new customers. Mm. And, and so brands are really starting to look further down the funnel into these kind of retention loops and saying, hey, what can we do to keep the customers we have and, and increase loyalty, increase advocacy, and, and recognize that who's the most influential person in any, anybody's life? It's going to be their family and friends. Mm. And so if you can increase the number of word-of-mouth recommendations from the customers you have, you potentially have a really, really nice um, compounding interest-type environment there. And I think you're going to get a better return because traditionally a lot of influencers were seen as part of the, the top part of the funnel, weren't they? The brand, the brand awareness. Um, right. But I think, as you've rightly said, uh, they're going to be much more involved in, and, and we're seeing it even at events where influencers are promoting events and linking to uh, discount registrations and discount codes. So affiliate marketing is now playing a much bigger part, um, which helps get brands ROI. Because I think, although we talk about influencer marketing as being one of the fastest growing advertising mediums uh, in the world right now, it's still relatively small in comparison to overall marketing spend. And so there's a lot of lot of brands that are still just spending a small amount of money in influencer marketing because they're not really sure right. about how to do it well. So would you say that there's still a, a real need to educate people on the process? Absolutely. I mean, the the reality is, is that we have, you know, there's been an absolute paradigm shift in how content is created and distributed and consumed. And that is totally being um, forced by social media and, and smartphones. And so now we've gone away from mass media. We've gone into this kind of micromedia environment where no matter what your interest is, you're going to be able to find a community of people that are also interested in it. And typically in that community, there's going to be others that are experts or entertainers that create content for that community. And that dynamic is only going to intensify in the future. And brands have to figure out a way of being able to hopefully not disrupt people's entertainment or educational experiences, but become a part of that. Mm. And, and so that's really, really what we're seeing is how can brands deal with this new paradigm in um, media consumption?
Mm, mm, absolutely. Um, and what about regulation um, and, and, and the law uh, in terms of advertising uh, disclosures? Uh, I know when we spoke last time, you said to me it was largely unregulated uh, in, in, in China. Mm. And, and how, does, how do brands feel about you know, brand safety? Uh, potentially, could, could KOLs be buying, buying followers? Most platforms have some form of their own rules on, on sponsorship or how KOLs can act or what they can say or sell. And some of that's also being enforced by government, whether it's around you know, cigarettes or alcohol or something. Um, but largely, it's an unregulated um, market and and do you see that changing at all or 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 um or not i i i don't see it changing i think it will the the changes will happen at the platform level um where they will so one of the advancements that we have that the west doesn't have is platforms act as the middleman now between kol content and being able to post about brand branded content so in, in the West, you have to maybe put up a you know, hashtag ad or something like that. Mm. But actually in China, we have whole marketing platforms that the KOL must say, this is a piece of advertising content. This is how much I was paid for it. And then the platform will take anywhere up to a 50% fee from what the brand paid the um, KOL to be able to post that content. And so the, the platforms are making a lot of money on KOLs. So they have a really, really good reason to, to create a nice environment for them to continue to, you know, build their businesses and such. Mm. And, um, and we have seen some platforms that have tried different levels of restriction and it's really blown up in their faces. So really the best, you know, the best, the internet best strives with a hands-off approach for sure. And, and that is also true in the kind of KOL social media space. Mm, interesting. So in terms of the future then, what sort of trends do you think are going to uh, change in China particularly? I think we'll continue to see um, some really interesting um, KOL brands um, come out um, from the really, really top, top tier influencers. They get paid, they get to create great content, they get to aggregate audiences. They have these brands who are telling everyone, hey, this is someone that you can trust. Mm. And so once brands, they essentially, you know, and, and that's one of the things brands have to be aware of is they're potentially feeding beasts that will in the future consume them or be their competitors. Yeah. Um, so that's a, real, that's a real thing that's happening. It has been happening and I think it will continue to happen. Um, I think the most interesting space right now for, for brands to consider, um, probably East and West from what it sounds like you're saying also, is in this customer retention, customer UGC, you know, uh, advocacy realm and just realizing that everybody's an influencer. Everybody mm -hmm. has friends and family that follow them. And what are the mechanisms and experiences that you are going to design into your brand and products that compel people to want to share? Mm. And, and that is something that needs to be much, much more thought about by brands. You know, I'm, I'm a quasi-professional photographer and cinematographer and with a studio at my house and and I've been doing it for a long time and I still cannot believe how many skincare brands put 
their liquid into a glass bottle with silver text. And I'm a professional photographer. I can hardly take a picture of that. How much more so when some, you know, 16 year old girl wants to hold it up to their face and take a picture for social media and nobody can read the bottle. Mm. And it's those types of things where it's like, what are you doing to design even down to the physical product so that it's shareable and so Mm. that it's an experience that people want to share. And I think that that's really where brands need to be thinking and, and, and are thinking about how they um, think about the future. Influence, the global podcast that shines a spotlight on the influencer marketing industry. So that's it for another edition of Influence. I hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to keep an eye on the BCMA website for all the latest influencer marketing news. But for now, until next time, from me, Gordon Glenister, thanks for listening and goodbye.